Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. This sermon was delivered live at our Greenbrier campus. Thanks for listening. Here's the deal. I've been preaching since I was 12 years old. All right, and here's what I've learned um, since that time. Sometimes you come across a text that you have to preach and you realize pretty quickly, man, this has potential to make a lot of people mad. All right. So up front, this is going to make some people mad this morning. Right now, if that's you. I'm sorry, all right? You take it up with God, not me. I'm just gonna do my best to present the word to you today. If it's not you, then cool, all right? You, you thank God for that. But this morning, um, this text that we're going through has a lot of deep um, theological truths in it. And so we need to make sure that when we come to this text today, that we're coming to it with no other mindset, no other lens other than, okay, God, what is it that you're trying to show me? What is it that, why do we have this text? What are you trying to reveal to us about you, about the gospel? And God, more importantly, how do you want me to worship in response to this word? So we don't want to come to it with any other mindset or any other lenses, because what we don't want to do is misinterpret what God is wanting us to know. And so let's pray and ask God to clear our hearts, to to clear our minds, and that he would speak clearly through the word and um, that we would respond accordingly. So y'all, let's pray together as a church family. Um, God, we love you and we thank you for your word um, that you've given us so that we could know you, so that we could um, know more of who you are, your character, your love for us, um, and also, Lord, that we could hear the gospel. Um, God, I pray that today as we open up your word, uh, God, that you make it clear, you help us understand it, that you would show us and reveal to us um, what it is that you are saying, but also how we can respond, God. We love you and we praise you. Just be with us in this next moment, God. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Genesis chapter 9, going to find your way, um, however you brought your Bible, uh, to Genesis chapter 9. That's where we'll be. Let me give you a little bit of context uh, of what's going on. We've been walking through Genesis for several weeks now, and and we're about to wrap up the story of Noah. Right right before this moment, God followed through with his promise to Noah and his family as he was flooding the earth because of how evil mankind had gotten, how rebellious, and how much we have began to chose sin. God flooded the world, but he saved and redeemed Noah and his family, right? And so we have to understand that the flood um, paints this picture of who God is, that he is a holy and righteous judge, but at the same time, he's a God of mercy and a God of redemption, right? And so what, what happens is God looks at his creation and everything that he made and said, man, this is good until Adam and Eve chose sin. And once sin entered the picture, sin started doing in the world and inside of us only what sin can do, bring um, destruction and death. So from that moment, the world began to, 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 chase, um, to chase sin, to be wicked, right? Humans were killing other humans. It was just this horrible scene. And what God had was this wrath built up against our sin. And that caused God to wipe the world clean, to make it a fresh start. Right, And he saved Noah. He looked at Noah and his family. They were walking in obedience. He tells them, hey, I'm going to save you guys. You build an ark. You build the boat. Take the animals with you. And as I refresh, as I restart the world, I'm going to use you and your family uh, to paint the bigger picture of what grace and redemption looks like. 
And so God does it. He, he floods the world. He saves Noah and his family, right? Last week, David um, preached on that. You should, you should go back and listen to that. Uh, and, and now he's looking at Noah and his family. They're off the boat. They're on dry land. And he gives them new commands for the brand new world. He, he, he gives them a brand new command and he makes a covenant with them. And that's where we find ourselves in today's text. So let's look at Genesis chapter nine. We're gonna kind of go backwards actually. So look at verse eight through 11. Genesis nine, eight through 11. This is where we will begin. It says this in verse eight. <clears throat> then God said to Noah and his sons with him, understand that I am establishing my covenant with you and your descendants after you. And every living creature that is with you, birds, livestock, all the wildlife of earth that are with you, all the animals of the earth that came out of the ark, I will establish my covenant with you that never again will every creature be wiped out by floodwaters. There will never again be a flood to destroy the earth. All right, this is the covenant that God is making right after he saved Noah, right after the world was flooded. This is the covenant that he makes with Noah that's for the animals and for literally all generations, you and I today. So before we get into the covenant, we need to understand what does that word mean? And most of you know what the word covenant means, but it's not a word that we use every day, right? It's not a word that you hear outside of a church context. Real simple, a covenant is just an agreement between two parties. Two parties come together. One side says, hey, I will do this if you do that. The other party says, okay, I agree. I will do this if you do that. They shake hands, they made a covenant, and they keep their ends of the deal. Right? This is how God, throughout all of Scripture, um, interacts and, and, and maneuvers with his people. He makes covenant promises with them. But this covenant is different. This covenant between Noah and God, and, and, and the animals are included, all generations. So you and I, this covenant isn't a two-party deal. This is an unconditional covenant. God didn't say, hey, if you do this, I will never flood the world again. He just said, hey, listen, here's what I'm promising you. I will never again bring my judgment to the world through a flood. And that promise is forever. Now, here's the deal. What this covenant doesn't mean is that God will never judge the world, right? We know from Scripture that there is going to be a final judgment day where all of us, every single person, will have to stand before God and be held accountable for every bad thing we did, for every good thing that we knew we were supposed to do but didn't do. We're going to be held accountable for all of those things. The good, the bad, all of it. We will have a full judgment. This covenant from God doesn't say that that's, that's not going to happen. What he's saying is, is that he will never again look at the world, look at our sin, look at our, our rebellion and flood it in full judgment. So what this covenant is, this is a covenant of grace and mercy, right? How? I want you to think about this, right? Before this moment, before the flood, there was zero concept of what rain was, right? The first time it ever rained in our history, Okay, like the first raindrops that fell, people looking around going, what is this? And then all of a sudden, the world is flooded, okay? So this covenant is God's grace and mercy saying, hey, from now on, this brand new world, when you see and feel rain coming your way, you don't have to run around freaking out, I'm not flooding you, okay? 
Like you don't have to think that, oh no, it's happening again. This is his grace. This is the first picture of, of, of full redemption and full grace that he is not going to bring flood. Uh, he's not going to flood the entire world again. Now there will be flood. There will be natural disasters, but he's not going to wipe out humanity again. So with that in mind, let's look at what he says and look at verse 12. And God said this, here's the sign, right? He's going to stamp this promise. He's going to show this. He's going to seal it with the promise. Look at verse 12. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant I am making between me, you, and every living creature with you, a covenant for all future generations. That's us. So this covenant, this seal is for you and I today. He says in verse 13, I have placed my bow in the clouds and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I form clouds over the earth and the bow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and the living creatures. Water will never again become a flood to destroy every creature. The bow will be in the clouds and I will look at it and remember the permanent covenant between God and all the living creatures on earth. Verse 17, God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I've established between me and every creature on earth. Now listen, if you grew up in the church, if you didn't, I'm glad you're here and that's like, uh, that's awesome. But if you grew up in the church, anytime you ever saw a picture of Noah and the ark, you'll see like an elephant, some little lions over here. They all look cute and cuddly. That's not reality, right? Uh, but you'll see Noah chilling with some animals. You'll see the ark, the big boat in the background. And in, and in the very background, what do you see going over the boat? A rainbow, right? You see this big old rainbow in the back of the picture. And this is the sign that God used to seal his promise. And what I love about this sign is that, that, that it points back to God being merciful, that it points back to him being a gracious God, that every time from that moment on that it rained, Noah, his family, even the animals, you and I today, when it rains, we can look up in the sky, see the sun pop out of the clouds, hit that rain and a rainbow appear. We can look at that rainbow and go, oh God, thank you. Thank you that you didn't just flood the world because of my sin. God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you that you just kept your promise to me, right? And I, and I listen, I don't care like how manly, um, like you can be the most manly, burly, emotionalist dude in the world, but when you see a rainbow, you know what I'm saying? You have to stop and go, man, that's, that's beautiful. You know what I'm saying? Like you just have to look at it. Beautiful, are, rainbows are awesome. Right? I mean, they're, they're beautiful. You stop, you take pictures, you look in awe at rainbows. And, and what I love, like I, I wanted to Google because I couldn't remember from, from my childhood, how do, how do rainbows even work? Um, this is gonna sound super nerdy and scientific. Some of you might like that because you're nerdy and scientific, but listen to the, how I, I found Google, okay? This is how rainbows are made. Y'all ready? Say, I'm ready. All right, here it is. This is how rainbows are made. I'm not kidding, this is for real. <laughs> When sunlight hits a rain droplet, now stop, who says rain droplet, right? Rain drop, okay? When sunlight hits a rain droplet, some of the light is reflected from the sun. The, electro the electromagnetic spectrum is made of light with many different wavelengths, and each is reflected at a different angle from the raindrop. Thus, the spectrum is separated, producing a rainbow. Listen to me. Only God can do that. Only God can take a raindrop, let a little bit of sun hit it, 
and let a rainbow appear in the sky so that everyone can see it. Only God can do that. And I remember when I was a kid, right, um, it was Lucky Charms, right? The, the pot, the, there's a gold pot at the end of the what? At the rainbow, right? So I'm from the hood. That's all we wanted. We wanted the gold at the end of the rainbow, right? So where is it? We want to touch the rainbow. We want to get it, right? And then Skittles came out with their commercial, right? Like we want Skittles from the rainbow. But here's the deal. It is impossible. You cannot touch that reflection. You can't touch a rainbow. So in other time, in other words, the next time you see one, you pause, you thank God for his covenant, for his mercy, for his promise that is untouchable, that is un unconditional, that no one can take away from you and I. You stop and you thank him for his promise that he's keeping. That when you see a rainbow, that rainbow is representing God's mercy towards us. Now listen, when, in our context today, 2024, when we see rainbows, usually it's from a, a pride type of movement. And, and what the pride, the, 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 the pride movement has done has taken the symbol of the rainbow and misinterpreted it, right? I, I did some research today and, and I found um, an article um, from someone who professed to be a Christian but was living a homosexual lifestyle said that when we use the rainbow as the pride flag, we're using it as God's acceptance towards our lifestyle. And, and it went through every color, had all these verses that were way out of context. And, and so here's what I want you to understand is that as believers, when we see that, it does at times bring some feelings of like hostility, right? Where we see that we get angry. We're like, man, that's not how things are supposed to be. I want to challenge that. Listen, I agree. Like, no, the rainbow represents God's grace, not his acceptance. The rainbow doesn't, God, God didn't establish his covenant with us and said, hey, I'm never gonna flood the world again. Therefore, live however you want. In reality, God says, hey, my rainbow is a sign for you to understand I'm extending you grace and giving you opportunity to repent and get close to me before the day of final judgment. So when we see the rainbow, even if it's out of context, as believers, we see that and we go, God, thank you for your grace that you're not flooding the world because not of their sin, but mine. God, I, there's enough sin in me that you could have brought a flood down, but you have extended grace and mercy to me. What we see and we have to understand is that this is, is God's covenant, his promise to us. And here's what I learned about the rainbow as I was studying this week. That word bow in Hebrew is the actual word they use for a battle bow, like a warrior's bow and arrow. Right, that you stretch out the arrow, that bow bends, and you let that arrow fly, and that sucker's aim is to hit and destroy something. So what did God say about his, his battle bow? He said, I'm hanging my warrior bow, my bow, of, my bow of, of destruction and judgment, I'm hanging it in the clouds. So listen, when you and I see a rainbow in the sky, that's God's battle bow, his wrath, his judgment, and which way is that bow facing when we see it? It is not facing towards us anymore. It is, it is pointed away from us. In other words, God's wrath and, and, and judgment towards our sin is not pointed at us, but what we see scripture do, it's actually pointed to Jesus on the cross. Where Jesus on the cross, dying for our sin, 
The Bible says he takes on God's wrath towards what? Our sin. So this mercy covenant, this gracious covenant is just pointing to the new covenant that we have in Jesus Christ who sacrificially took on his, uh, his wrath for us. If you're with me, say I'm with you. This is God of justice and judgment at the same time, the God of mercy, who one day will bring full judgment to the world, but until that day is extending a time for us to get it right, to repent and follow after him. This is the bigger picture of the gospel and our need of Jesus Christ. This is why when we, we week in, week out say, man, if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, do it. Because we don't know when that final day of judgment is coming. So don't wait. Say yes today. Say yes to Jesus. Stop playing a game with your soul. So this is, the, this is the covenant. Now back to Genesis 9. We, 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 we looked at the covenant and, and before that though, God actually gives Noah and, and his family new commands for this brand new world. And so what we're gonna do, let's look at these commands and, 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 and how do they apply to our life today? So remember, potential to make a lot of people mad. I'm just gonna do my best to present the word of God. Are you ready? Say, I'm ready. Doesn't matter, we're doing it anyways. Here we go. Verse one in Genesis chapter nine. God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear and terror of you will be in every living creature on the earth. Every bird of the sky, every creature that crawls on the ground and all the fish of the sea, they are placed under your authority. Every creature that lives and moves will be food for you. As I give the green plants, I have given you everything. However, you must not eat meat that with lifeblood in it. And I will require a penalty for your lifeblood. I will require from any animal and from any human. If someone murders a fellow human, I, re I will require that person's life. Whoever sheds human blood by, human, by humans, his blood will be shed. For God made humans in his image. But you be fruitful and multiply. Spread out over the earth and multiply on it. All right? A lot of theological deep principles pushed into seven verses, all right? But here's the first thing that what, what we see God saying is that to him, human life is sacred. That human life is sacred. And he proves that in verse five. In verse five, he says, I will require a penalty for your lifeblood from any animal or human that kills another human. I require their life. Now, listen, I know that sounds harsh, Right? I know like some people will say, if God is, is good and loving and gracious and merciful, how can he say if another human or animal kills another human, th that person or that animal deserves to die? And listen, here's all I can explain to you, okay? God loves all of his creation. He, he loves all of his creation. He loves the universe, the stars, the, the animals. He loves everything that he made. He loves every single, matter of fact, Jesus tells us he, that the, the flowers of the field and the birds of the air, they don't worry about anything because they know God's gonna take care of them. So God loves all of his creation. He loves the plants, the trees, the animals. However, when it comes to us as humans, he holds us to um, a higher point of love. He loves us above all creation. He proves that in verses one through four. 
right? Where, when all plants and animals are now cleared for us as mankind to hunt down, kill, and eat, right? This goes back to Adam and Eve in the garden, where, where when they were walking around freely, no sin, everything was perfect and good, Adam and Eve had perfect relationships with all the animals that were created. They were eating plants, they were hanging out with the animals, deers weren't running away thinking that dude's gonna shoot me, right? They were all good. They weren't eating the animals. They were, they were there just taking care of everything, but then sin enters the picture. And now all of a sudden, in this new world, right, after the flood, God says, now all the plants, all the animals, you still have authority over them, but now you kill, you eat those animals. And if one of those animals kills another human, you kill that thing. Why does God say this? It's, it's not just for protein in our diet, which is good. You just need to eat more protein. But what he's doing is he's showing us that God holds us, mankind, higher than the rest of creation. The Bible even tells us that when it comes to us and angels, that God views us higher than the angels. He loves us. Why? Why are we, why are, is our life so sacred to God? He tells us right there that we are made in his image, that we are image bearers of God. Just like the, the sunlight hitting that rain droplet and just reflecting, we are reflections of God to the rest of the world, to the rest of creation. And because of that, our lives are sacred to him. He protects life and commands us that we do the same. Look at verse four through six one more time. However, you must not eat meat with its lifeblood in it. I will require a penalty for your lifeblood. I will require from any animal, any human. If someone murders a fellow human, I will require that person's life. Whoever sheds human blood by human blood, his, or by humans, his blood will be shed for God made humans in his image. Remember, we, we come to this with the lens of not our political backgrounds, our, 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 our culture backgrounds. We come to the Bible. God, what do you want us to see? Okay, here's what my attempt is in this verse. Because our life is sacred to God, because we're made in his image, he protects, cares, and commands us to protect and care for life as well. He commands us to do this. Like I said, the concept of, of God saying that if, if someone kills another human, they should be killed, killed too, that's hard to be grasped. But think about it through the Bible lens. What this is showing us is the reason why we protect human life at all costs is because we're actually killing an image of God. Right? When it comes to this lifeblood, I did my research because I was like, man, what does this even mean? I like my steak a little bit raw, right? Like, what are you trying to say here, God? What are you trying to do to me? Okay, here's what that word lifeblood means. Back in these days, before science was like sciencing, okay, um, they said, hey, someone cut themselves, and when that red stuff comes out, let's see what happens. Okay, when that blood comes out, what's, what's going to happen? Eventually, someone cut themselves, and, and when a lot of that blood came out, that person did what? They died, and they said, hey, wait a minute. When we realize all that blood came out of that person, they died, that's not a good thing, okay? And so for them, their mindset was there's life in the blood. That when they shed their blood and it's shed enough, that person died. So hey, that lifeblood is important. That is, there's life in the blood. 
And so we shouldn't be out here shedding each other's blood, that we shouldn't be out here consuming lifeblood. What we should be doing is protecting that. And what that does is point to Jesus Christ on the cross whose blood was shed as a sacrifice for us. And in his blood being shed on the cross, you and I now have actual life. And so all of this is just pointing to a bigger picture of God. God cares about life. It's sacred to him. That's why we have laws. That's why there's capital punishment. That's why people are serving life sentences today. Matter of fact, today is actually Sanctity of Life Sunday. And I don't know how that worked out, but today is Sanctity of Life Sunday. And the reasons why, as Christians, we take a step further into this and we stand up against abortion it's not because we're Christians or we're Republican or we're from this party. We stand up against abortion because that baby in that mother's womb from conception is a life, a blessing from Jesus. So we stand up, not for politics. This was before politics. That's not a, this life and caring for people isn't, like, it's not a political thing. It's a God thing that we stand and we say, no, no, we, we care about life because God cares about life. We stand up for these things because that life is a sacred life that is an image bearer of God. So this is a God thing. We stand for justice when other human lives are, being, are having unjust things done to them. We stand up for those people. That's what we're commanded to do. Um, if you don't know who Tim Keller is, he's a, a great theologian who is a great preacher and pastor. He passed here recently, but he said this about Genesis chapter 9. He says this. He says, human life is sacred in every sense of the word. Every human life that comes into your life, whether it's a person holding the door for you, your taxi driver, your grocer, the person you don't know very well, or the person next to you who smells bad, no matter what life comes into your world context, you are now accountable for that life. No matter who it is, like them or not, different than you or not, different background, different mindsets, different political stances, no matter who that person is, if they're in your context, they're in your world, because of your faith in Jesus, they are now your responsibility. They are your, you are accountable for that life. So the reason why life is so sacred is because we're made in God's image, but also because we belong to God. We are his. Listen to me. No human actually belongs to you. Like not your kids, your grandkids, your family, your friends. We don't belong to anybody but the one who created us. And that's why he takes this so seriously. Because when we take another life, we're taking something that doesn't belong to us. And now through this command, he says, now, hey, now you are going to be held accountable for how you treat those people around you. How you treat them. So the first command in the brand new world is, is to protect and care for human life at all cost. Stand up and protect and care for human life. The second command he gives us is to multiply life. 
We protect and care for life. Now we multiply life. Verse 7 says, be fruitful and multiply. Spread throughout the whole world, right? Spread out over the earth, multiply on it. This is the same command that he gave Adam and Eve. And it's the same command that he gives us. When we reproduce, when we make more babies, what we're doing is just filling the world with more image bearers of God. We just fill more, the world with more image bearers of God. This is a beautiful thing. And if you're blessed to reproduce, you know that feeling. But here's the deal. Some people aren't able to do that. And that does not mean that they are lesser or they're not fulfilling this command. That is, that is the, the far from the truth. Because there's also this spiritual um, command of multiplying, making more disciples. If you're not blessed in the ability to produce life, you can be blessed to look at a life that's already been produced who needs someone to step into their life and say, hey, I will big brother you, I will grandfather you, I will push you closer to Jesus. Listen, that is my testimony. My mom was in and out of prison for the first six years of my life. I didn't know my father, but my grandparents stepped in and said, hey, I will multiply the gospels into your life. I've had Sunday school teachers step up and, and father and mother me. I've had coaches step up and go, hey, I'm, I'm going to be a man who calls you an idiot because you're acting like one. You need to get back closer to Jesus. And so the, the multiplication command is, is not just populating the earth. Listen, we have 8.1 billion people on this mug. We've, we're doing it, okay? Like, we took that part serious. There's babies all over the place. But now, the greater need that we have in our world right now is the Christians that have professing faith in Jesus step up and multiply disciples. To step up and multiply your faith. This is the command that we see. This is what we need the most. We, we, we are having a generation where um, the, the, the average age of senior pastors is getting older and older and older because younger men aren't stepping up. Why? They haven't been mentored or discipled. They haven't been mentored, discipled, looked in the eye and say, hey, I'm proud of you. I see a calling on your life that God's leading you to do this. I mean, we're, we're, we, are, we are struggling in the sense and here in America in our church that we need discipleship deeply. And so my question to you is very simple. How do we do this? The, the, the first question I would ask you is, who are you sharing the gospel with right now? Who are you actively praying that God would do a work in their life and they would say yes to Jesus? Who are you praying, God, please give me an opportunity to share the gospel with that person? Who are you sharing the gospel with? Because listen, I'm, I'm going to tell you that lifeblood that Jesus spilt on the cross, that he shed on the cross, that, that, that he did that to save you, the gospel, listen, didn't come to you so that you can feel warm and cozy and be like, man, I'm God, like God loves me, he's fighting my battles, all these cute things. The gospel didn't come to you to save you from your sin, to save you from hell, so that you just sit on it. The gospel came to you so that you can take it to the next person. The church doesn't exist for you. The church exists for you to have a platform to raise up disciples and multiply your faith. For you to step in and serve in the, the kid ministry where there's kids in there who need someone to love on them. To step up and serve in the youth ministry so that you can tell men and women, hey, listen, young child, young kid, like, listen, God loves you and has a plan for your life. 
So who are you sharing the gospel with and who are you discipling? Who are you mentoring? Like, what would that even look like? Man, that looks like volunteering, but that looks like you joining a small group or starting a small group. Starting a Bible study at school, I know that's already happening in, in the context in Greenbrier, but start a Bible study at work in your neighborhood. Who are you sharing the gospel with? Who are you discipling? Who are you big brothering or big sistering? Our command is very simple. Care about other people and multiply your faith. Care for life, protect life, and multiply your faith. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.